0: Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by Co-Site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein.
2: Welcome everybody back. I'm Lucas. I got Uriah here today. Chris sadly could not join us. This is our midweek edition of our podcast. We've got a few things to talk about, but unlike, you know, Joel and Ben, this past road trip, I actually did not, I'm not feeling good, but I'm still playing. I'm still here. Uriah, what's going on with you, man?
0: hey i'm I'm glad we're able to get you on. I hope you feel better. You sound fine. I think you're a little self critical you sound fine fine to me oh I, I
2: i do not feel fine at all.
0: You sound fine, but you know you take some some more benadryl and drink some tea with with lemon and I think you'll you'll be jumping right back into the swing of things Man, you sound like my mom. you gotta drink tea with lemon man so listen, man. It seems like every time we've been doing a podcast the past month and a half. It's always snowing, man. What? We ever gonna get yeah. a break from all this snow? I I did break out my snowblower for the first time. No more shoveling for me. Never going back.
2: Yeah, no, you're right. You know, I, I'm still like a young man. I still like to shovel. I know you're a little bit up there in years, so you know, <laughs> if you got to use your snowblower, that's fine. I get it. But no, seriously though, all jokes aside, uh, I do like shoveling. It's it's always been something that I've enjoyed. I grew up on a farm, so. Um, Shoveling stuff has always been a thing for me. Not necessarily snow all the time, but I have always been shoveling.
0: Yeah, well, it looks like the Sixers were on a nice road trip and I think the last destination they were at is known for its snow, which is Utah. So let's jump right into the uh to the games that the Sixers had this week. And we'll start with the Utah game. Unfortunately, it was a loss. Utah, they handled us Pretty well, even though Joel Embiid did not play. Utah won that game 134, 123. That game is going to go down in history, at least for the history of Ben Simmons, is his probably greatest game. He scored 42 points, had nine rebounds, 12 assists, and probably most impressive, Lucas, was he went 12 for 13 from the free throw line. So it was a loss, but maybe a few good things came out of that game.
2: So yeah, obviously there's a couple big takeaways that we got to take from this. Obviously the 42 is a career high for Ben. The 12 of 13 free throws is very good. You know, obviously it shows a sign, not only of aggression, but ability to hit free throws at a high percentage. Um, The jazz and Ben talked about this after the game, he felt disrespected because they had Rudy Gobert on him. And he was able to take advantage of that matchup because the fact that he Gobert's not going to be able to to guard a, a full head of steam. Simmons moving uh, who Simmons is arguably one of the top 10 fastest players in the league, arguably top five. And so with that in mind, Ben Simmons, and he said this after the game too, that he's really trying to change his mindset a, a, as being an aggressive player, trying to be more aggressive. And we saw that. We definitely saw that in this game. Uh, obviously still didn't take a shot outside of the paint, but didn't need to. And if we see this type of Ben Simmons, now I don't think we're going to see 40 every night, but if he's this type of aggressive with Joel, which we kind of see more flashes of that as of late, but if he can get this level of aggression, not afraid of contact, getting to the free throw line, converting them at at least like, if he can hit 75% of his free throws, that's going to make a defense, you know, not want to foul him. And that's going to be a win in the Sixers book for sure. With that in mind, I would definitely say that Ben Simmons is the clear star of this game, though we got to give some props to Tobias Harris. I believe it is a season-high 36. I'm not 100% sure on that. I can check that real quick.
0: He had 36 points, he had 10 rebounds, and he was 14 for 24 from the field and 3 for 5 from 3 points. So, so as much as this was a great game for Ben, I'd say it was even – a great game for Tobias, even though Tobias is a little bit more offensively consistent throughout the year. I wanted to know what do you think about Embiid getting scratched right at the game time uh, at the start of the game. Do you think it was it was good that he sat out, or do you think he should have fought through it to uh, you know maybe steal that game on the road?
2: Nah, I'm worried about the coast postseason. Embiid's health is number one. He says, and we'll get into this more with the Rockets game, but he's. He said after the Rockets game that he's had back tightness ever since that Lakers game. And honestly, I'd rather him sit out for two weeks, get that back right than uh, him being in and out of the lineup. I want him to be 100 percent. So if he needed the rest of this game, I have no problem with it. I will say the one negative takeaway that I got I I can take out of this outside of uh, Seth Curry and Dwight Howard, who I mean, I was expecting more from Curry, to be honest. The the role players did not play well. I mean, Mike Scott had six points, you know, shot a high percentage, but only played 17 minutes. Did not, you know, he looks like a shell of his former self. And then you got guys like Cork Miles who went 005 from the field, 02 from the uh, three-point line. Thighbull played okay offensively and defensively. You know, you're gonna you're not gonna get too much offensive production from him. Maxie still hasn't shot above. Uh, forty per uh, over fifty percent in last I don't even know how many games. It's been a while though for the rookie. He's still struggling with his shot. Um, he didn't fill up the bat. He didn't uh, in any other way besides scoring because he the only other stat he had was one foul. So yeah, I I want more from the Sixers role players from this game. I think if you would have gotten a little bit more from Curry or more, you know, something from Corkmas or Maxi. This game probably could have been had. But I will say I'm kind of disappointed that they let Jordan Clarkson, of all people, go off of 40 points. That's ridiculous.
0: Well, Jordan Clarkson, he, you could play him 100 more games after that, and he'll probably never get that same type of game. He was unconscious from, from the field. I, I think one person that has been disappointing for a lot of Sixers fans this year is Danny Green. Now I know it was a clip. I don't know if you saw it. Someone was getting on him about not hitting threes after a game, and he very snarkily said to the to the person, he threw an expletive in there. He's like, "I got three rings." And I'm thinking, okay, you've gotten three rings over your career, but what are you doing right now? He went one for six from that game. That was one of those shake your head, Danny Green. Where did you come from? Games and what are you doing here still? Yeah. So I, that was a disappointment, and you mentioned Quark Moz. Let me show you something about Quark Moz. When he's good, he looks really good, right? He's hitting mm-hmm. shots. He's a very confident player. But when he's when he's off, Lucas, he oh, yeah, looks ugly. terrible. And Absolutely. is it me or is it me or is it whenever he has whenever he makes a mistake on the court, whether it's a turnover or just a ugly shot, he always kind of puts his head down, and he's he looks like a player who's trying out for like the freshman. High school basketball team, and he's trying to make it so bad, and he's trying to impress the coaches and everyone. It to me, he plays like he he's still trying to fit in on this team. What what do you think I, about that?
2: I, I in terms of Cork, in terms of Danny Green, we know what we're getting with Danny Green: inconsistent shooting, good team defense, not good at individual defense anymore. He could definitely, if if the right player comes along, I would definitely swap him out for that player. Um, I wouldn't do it for any old player, though, because he does does bring an aspect of uh, accountability to that locker room that I like. Uh, in terms of Corkmaz, you're absolutely right. I think that he still is trying to find not only his way in the, you know, on the sixes, but in the NBA. Cause, you know, sometimes we saw in that G, uh, that Summer League game that he scored, he can pour on 40 points. But mm-hmm. then sometimes he can go 05 or, or, you know, one of 10 from the field or something like that. And I think it's definitely a confidence issue for Corkmaz. I mean, he's still only what, 23, 24? Like he's still pretty young. Mm-hmm. So. And the fact is, is that I don't think Brett Brown did a great job of building his confidence the first two years. Doc is letting Corkmaz have a little bit more freedom offensively, but still overall, like, Corkmaz is a nice guy to have, but I would definitely not, if you're trying to win a championship, I wouldn't have him in your playoff rotation or maybe even in your regular season rotation. Yeah, he can go off every once in a while, but there's still that question of consistency with him that's been plaguing him ever since... He got into Brett Brown's rotation two years ago. So that's what my thoughts are yeah, on him.
0: Yeah. So last night we came away with a, a W and mm-hmm. it's it's been a while since we've been able to say that, Lucas. But the Sixers mm-hmm. won against the Houston Rockets. Sixers scored one eighteen. Rockets scored one thirteen. And it was it was looks like it was in control of Doc Rivers for the first three quarters and then Somehow, some way, they crept back in, and they made it a closer game than it probably should have been. And you mentioned earlier, Lucas, about the role players. Uh, the role players last night did not step up like they should have, and it just shows you how important Shake Milton is to that that reserve squad. Um, of course, the big three we had Embiid, Harris, and Curry. They all scored over 20 points. Ben had to sit because of an illness, an illness that you apparently gave him, Lucas. Apparently. Yeah, apparently. But, yeah, my apparently. So, <laughs> And then the role players, Maz didn't have a great game. Isaiah Joe went one for six. Howard didn't even score a field goal, which, which is a bummer. And then Mike Scott, who I think they're just showcasing him to give him some trade value. He went 0-for-1 playing 11 minutes. So what would you take away from some of the Houston uh, Houston game?
2: There's a couple of takeaways. First off, I want to see more point Harris, that that has to be a thing. It absolutely has to be a thing. Tobias mm-hmm. is on board. I'm on board for it. Why not when Ben's out? Mm-hmm. No, but in a serious – I mean, Tobias didn't do bad. He was he was tied with Curry for the second highest most assists in the game. Surprisingly, it was Joel. Your center – unless you're Nikola Jokic, you probably – uh, should not be averaging more than you know, and every, everybody else on your team. So, you know, a little bit of a red flag there. Maxi yet again did not have a single assist, despite being the second unit's point guard. We saw a lot of Joe uh, Isaiah Joe, which I was happy about. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're sitting on the bench as much as Joe is, yeah, I'm not surprised that he came out cold. Corkmaz mm-hmm. was still cold. Went two of six in the field, one of four from the three point line. Maxi shot the ball well, but you know, outside of that, didn't do too much um Dwight Howard should just not be posting up people anymore I don't know what (laughs) happened there that was just (laughs) he should have been able to take advantage of that he didn't that's just showing you that at 35 years old he said he wants to play for five more years that's not going to happen honestly it might not happen after past this year which is a shame because you know he's a hall of famer but he'll still get you he'll still get you boards though he gets you boards should he be playing a consistent role moving forward or should he be more like a Jared Dudley guy next year
0: well, he's he's their only option right now. I mean, you can't well, put I, in I Tony, mean, Bradley. Tony Bradley. I think on, Tony
2: Bradley's underrated now. Chris doesn't like I think <sighs> Tony Bradley than <best> <laughs> Dwight, but I honestly think he backed up Rudy Gobert on a really good defensive team last year. I don't think the drop off's as big as you want, and you lose a lot of the bone uh, bonehead you know situation decisions that Dwight has if you play Tony Tony Bradley. Just my thought. Yeah, I like but... the fact that they started Thybul though. That was that was a fun matchup, and I like that. I thought that was good for the team. Four steals.
0: Yeah, you, you wrote about that. And I'm telling you, his steals and blocks and deflections, I think by the end of the first half, he had so many deflections. It was really remarkable how he's in tune to what the, the opponent is doing, passing lanes, getting his hands in to different plays. Again, you guys know how I feel about Dybul. He is uh, he is just a, a juggernaut on, on defense. Offensively, yeah, he knows his role, and I think Doc has conveyed that clearly to him. One thing that I would take away from this game, other than B- Embiid looking like the MVP, that yes, I'm putting obviously. money on. I'm I'm going to drop a couple ducats on Embiid. I think he's going to get it, uh, but he has to he has to play more games. He can't keep keep sitting games. But Seth Curry looked really good last That's night. That's what the Seth Curry we need. That's uh, the Seth Curry we need. Three for five from three point line. He he was definitely that spark they needed offensively.
2: Because you're going to get what you're going to get from Tobias, anywhere from like 17 to 24 points. You're going to get that from Tobias on any given night. You're going to get, you know, MVP level play from Joel. Ben is still kind of that X factor. But let me tell you something. I honestly think Seth can. He's not going to be as good as his brother. Brother, that's never going to happen. But can he be a 20 point scorer when healthy? I think so. I think it's possible. I'll give you that. I think it's possible. And I think, and I'm, you know, I've been meaning to write about this, but. I think he should have more of a predominant role in the offense mm-hmm. instead of just spotting up. I think he needs to have, uh, be, I think you drop Ben because Ben doesn't want to score. That's fine. You can just be the facilitator, crash the boards. That's fine. Get Curry more shots. You know, I'm not saying he should have as many as Tobias, but I mean, it should mm-hmm. be close or should be even, yeah. in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Yeah, as long it's... as
2: he's healthy, he can be that guy, that 20 point score guy, I think.
0: Yeah. I do think there are some expectations within the offense, knowing that Embiid is is the leader of the team, knowing that the offense works through him. He is the first option. I think his teammates recognize that he needs a certain number of touches to make him the focal point so that once he gets going, it'll force a double team throughout the game, and then that'll open things up in the third and fourth quarter. So, so yeah, I I think I agree. Curry should take more shots, but – is kind of limited, especially when Tobias needs his touches.
2: Just let like Danny Green shoot threes and that's it. He's not allowed to do anything else. That's it.
0: Just let Danny shoot threes.
2: He can still hit those okay, like 38%, I think, this season. His field goal percentage from two is terrible, but that's fine. Don't don't let him shoot twos. Just let him shoot threes. Give uh, Curry more shots, you know. Yeah. And going back on the thigh bowl point, I think Thibault should be if Thibault can get a consistent jumper and hit about two a game, two three pointers a game, he's enough of a threat offensively at a decent percentage. Let's just say thirty six percent. If he can do that, he should be starting. Period. Over Danny Green, that that's not even an issue problem is right now Ben's not a shooter Joel needs space you can't have the and Ben and Joel all on the same floor for a long period of time now you might be able to close games with those three depending on the matchup like against the Nets yeah you can get away with that because they're not going to defend that well and Thibel needs to be on Kyrie Irving or James Harden I would say probably Kyrie but that that can happen I yeah. think that's a that's a fair expectation to have moving forward. If Sible can get that jumper, he's he he should be in the starting five. And you know, I you already said I wrote on that, so you guys can check that out later after the podcast.
0: An observation I made, Lucas, and this is going back maybe a dozen games or so, Doc Rivers was getting to use Matisse when it came to the second half. He would play Matisse the the final 4 or 5 minutes of the third and then the first six, maybe seven minutes of the fourth. And that seemed to be working well when we had all of our players going. Now, last night, and then against Utah, we saw that the Sixers went to a 2-3 zone again. I think that in the Utah game, he should have implemented that a little bit sooner because we were at such Uh a deficit. And then last night, they were using more zone. And Matisse Matisse Stiebel, putting him in the zone is he can feast when he's out there because there's so much movement and there's uh, good rotation because we have some pretty solid wing defenders. So I I would concur. I think he makes more of an impact than Danny Green, especially defensively. And if you give him enough confidence and he hits a couple of threes, he can get hot again like he did his rookie year.
2: For sure, Uh, for sure. I would also just, you know, I think the three-point shot Will but I will also say this Jim Bayheim missed out at Syracuse. Man, if he would have had Matisse Leibel at Syracuse, they would have won another championship. I think, honestly. That yeah. being said, um, you're right, I think we're going to see more and more zone. I think it's working against teams like the Rockets and the um and Utah teams that aren't like proficient three point shooters. You can definitely get away with that more than like you cannot do zone against the rock, the Nets. That's not going to work. No, it's no. just not. Right. But you could do it against teams that aren't don't have like multiple lethal three point shooters like the Rockets. They have who Eric Gordon and I don't even he didn't play right so
0: no he did play he did play
2: oh he did play and okay he, so mm-hmm. they have Eric Gordon but that's like legitimately it so yeah. and oh PJ Tucker from the corner but you know I'm not worried about PJ mm-hmm. outside of the corner he's not a threat I think overall Thibodeau has a role on this team he can definitely be a starter if his offense picks up just a little bit but. We'll have to wait and see on that for sure. I think the only time will tell, and maybe it won't be this year, but next year. But let's go ahead and transition about you know players that are currently on the team, about possible you know trade or buyout uh, targets, particularly a buyout target uh, that I wrote about recently, and you added in our agenda today, and I think it was a good call. Uh, recently, Blake Griffin of the Detroit Pistons, uh, him and his uh, his representation, agreed with the franchise that he will not uh, be with the team until they can work out either a trade or a buyout. Uriah, he has two years left on his deal. Over 30, I believe, 36 and 39 million. The 39 is a player option next year. I don't think he gets traded. I think he gets bought out. If he can agree to, you know, a certain amount of, you know, giving back to the Pistons, I think the buyout happens for sure. And then we go from there. And he's a free agent. And I think the Sixers would be an uh, appealing team for him. No, he wouldn't be, you know, but what are
0: your thoughts on it? I I think in his heyday, when he was an all-star and slam dunk champion, he was the man. And I like Blake Griffin. I think he's a very entertaining player. His explosiveness clearly is not what it used to be. He did develop his jump shot to be more consistent. Yeah, I, I like his play. Now, does he fit on the Sixers? Of course, we can use more scoring off the bench. But I don't think adding him now would help with the chemistry that we've developed so far, which I happen to like. And, um, you know, it could be a little rift there with uh, a Kardashian-type deal with uh, Blake and Ben, you know, <laughs> you know a little – A little locker room fight over. over,
2: And uh, here I thought you were going a different direction when you said Rift. (laughs)
0: Not, Not, I I do know they both dated uh, one of the Jenner Jenner, uh, sisters. But anyway, so I think, I don't think, I think you're right. He would have to be bought out. I don't think Daryl Morey is going to risk bringing him to this team when everything is flowing so well through Joel and the addition of some of the other players we got. What do you think?
2: Well, I think he knows at this point in his career, he's not going to be a star. And honestly, I think he knows that he probably, if he really wants to be on a contender, he probably won't be starting unless it's like maybe, I can see maybe for the Clippers or the um, the Nets, but I don't know. That's a tough one there. But outside of those two, like most contenders would probably have him come off the bench. And I think for the Sixers, obviously he would be a big upgrade over Mike Scott, has a lot more playmaking. Jumper has been inconsistent this year, which I mean, to be fair, he's like one of the few threats from, for the Pistons. So yeah, that's going to happen. I think with more space and, you know, guys like Joel sucking in the defense, he's going to get wide open threes and I don't think he's going to miss that. He'd be the first big, I think he would be nice as a combo big off the bench, maybe play more center uh, for the Sixers at some points, you know, especially with Ben on the floor. So I think there's a fit there and I think, and I'm not worried about the chemistry that he would bring to the locker room. However, I am worried about one thing, and I wrote about this in my article. He and Doc Rivers had a very bad falling out when Doc hmm. traded when they traded him from the Clippers to the Pistons. Uh, hmm. As far as I know, they still haven't had contact. So, if there is going to be any type of reunion, you know they're going to have to have <laughs> a man-to-man talk for sure. Um, there's going to have to be some bridges rebuilt. But that being said, Doc Rivers is probably one of the best coaches to know what he can still get out of Blake and what skill sets he can use him in the second unit. So I do like the fit. I think... A limited role for Blake Griffin, considering all the mileage and injuries that he had coming off the Sixers bench, would be ideal. And I, I'm not saying that he's the missing piece. I don't think he is. But I think he would certainly make things a lot more interesting and give the Sixers a much better shot than they would without him. So yeah. that's my yeah. thought on it.
0: Yeah. Now, there's there's two other players that, that I forgot to add in the agenda that have been brought up as possible mm-hmm. players that the Sixers would target. And that would be DeLon Wright. And George Hill. And I think based on what they've done in the past and what they're proficient at with shooting and scoring, I I think they would be a a nice addition. The question is, who would we have to give up? And is this something Maury would actually want to do? What do you think about those two players?
2: Let me start with Wright first, because Mm -hmm. I recently wrote on what a potential trade would look like for him. No, mm-hmm. so I, I will say that the trade that I proposed, which was uh, Terrence Ferguson, another reclamation project from the 2017 draft, that they can add to their pool of Dennis Smith Jr. and J- uh, J- Josh Jackson. Um, besides him, it would be Mike Scott for salary purposes, and then a second round, the Knicks' second round pick in this upcoming draft. However, I will say this: the the Pistons-powered uh, fan-sided site. When I tweeted out that, and I tagged them in it. They did not like the idea because they were like, he's the only person that could, him and a rookie are the only people that can play point guard for us. And I was like, well, you do have Dennis Smith Jr. now. And you're not trying to win games. That's the point. So if you're trying to win games, then yeah, keep DeLon right or ask for a lot more. But if you're not trying to win games, get what you can from him. And maybe other teams can offer more. They probably could. The Sixers could probably add another second rounder or two. They probably would have to, especially just because until Killian Hayes gets back, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna need somebody to run the point. Though I think Dennis Smith Jr. is more than capable of doing it. That being said, and he would be—he's an hes above average defender. He's good at running a second unit's offense. He can play off the ball. He did that with Fred Van Leet, Leet. and even with Luka Doncic in pass ops in you know Toronto, and then in uh, Dallas. So he can play off the ball. So him and Ben mm-hmm. Simmons, and he's shooting around thirty six percent this year from the three point line. I believe mm-hmm. somewhere around that range. So he's a solid three point shooter. Um, he's one of those guys that does a little thing. And Uriah, we you know you got to remember his older brother is Darrell Wright. There's a homecoming of sort. Oh yeah, that's right.
0: That's right. The Wright so brothers. You got,
2: you, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. So you got that going on. I think that's yeah. you know th- those are all attractive things. Yeah. Uh, but to go on to the other name, George Hill, veteran guy, never has won a championship, but got close a few times, especially with Cleveland, um, was a really above-average starter in his prime with the Indiana Pacers, and now he's more or less a three-point threat uh, you know, who can run a second unit uh, with um, coming off the bench for the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are rebuilding. If I had to guess, it would probably have to be something in the realm of Mike Scott, Tony Bradley, and a second-round pick or two similar to that. We can't trade Ferguson or Poirier to them because we just got them from them earlier this year, so NBA salary cap rules wouldn't allow us to do that. But I think there's a way to get both. Um, Mm -hmm. It depends on what you're looking for in a second. And and here's the thing. They both have two years left on their contracts. The problem is with Hill is do you really want to – You know, he's playing very good this season, but he's 34, 35. He's in his mid-30s. Do you really want to pay 11 million for a guy who's going to be like I believe 36 next year? No. I I don't know if I want to do that.
0: Clearly, clearly the answer is no. And you mentioned some players that, given a chance to do something in another city, I, I think you got to let them do it. Terrence Ferguson, I feel bad for the guy because just a few years ago he was in the starting lineup for Oklahoma City. So if he you has if you ship,
2: potential, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, he has a weird shot, but you know he's young. Send him off to another team so he can get a restart. Mm -hmm. He's just riding on the bench for for whatever reason. He can't crack the rotation. And then Mike Scott, God bless him. Love the tats. Love the the mean streak attitude. You know, he's the goon of our team, but uh, he's just not producing. And I think either Hill or Wright would be a nice addition.
2: Who 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 would you rather have between the two? Because my, my preference is leaning more towards right just because he's in his mid twenties. He fits the yeah, yeah. team a lot more. His contract makes him more worth it. But I think an overall fit, you know, you would get more out of Hill this year. And I guess you're trying to figure out do you want to maximize Joel's prime or do you want to have a better long term fit? Yeah. And have it's like a, good money
0: on the salary cap. It's a it's a coin flip for me. I, I would lean right because he is younger and he mm-hmm. has probably some more athleticism. But George Hill, he, he'd be a nice nice uh, role player with his shooting ability. I yeah. think last season
2: he led the NBA in three-point percentage in Milwaukee, so yeah. definitely some uh, interesting value there for sure.
0: Now, speaking of three-point shooting, uh, we're going to do something with this podcast, Lucas, where mm-hmm. the All-Star Game is going to be held, and the commissioner announced it just last week. And we're going to look at... If there were some Sixers to participate in some of the activities, who would they be? So we're going to go down the list. Uh, we're going to go into which Sixers would most likely win the skills challenge. And then we'll talk about who would participate and possibly win the three-point contest. We'll jump into some Sixers who might be you know, in the dunk contest who would be worth watching. And of course, who would most likely win the All-Star Game MVP so, Lucas, let's start with the skills challenge. Which which 76er do you think would probably win that?
2: See, I want to say Ben, but I know he would have a hard time hitting that three-point shot at oh. the end. So, I'm oh going to say Tobias. <laughs> I'm going to say Tobias. Like, I don't want to... I'm not trying to, like, you know, rain on Ben's parade because he is the most skilled player, but he can't shoot a three, and that's part of the skills ta- challenge. And Joel B. didn't win it last time he did it, which was, what, last year or the year before? Yeah. So... Yeah. No, it's going to be – I'm going to put my money on Tobias because he's the most well-rounded player out of everybody.
0: Yeah. What about you? I can see that. Uh, I would probably say – I would say Seth Curry. Really? Okay. Yeah, I would say Seth Curry or uh, – I would, as a joke, I would say Embiid. Uh, we know that he was well, in the Skills Challenge. Once, yeah, and he he's the funniest when he couldn't make that bounce pass through the hole, the hoop. He yeah. just he just threw the balls away and he kept moving on. That was that was actually quite funny. But yeah, yes. I'll I probably go with Curry because he can dribble and he can pass. He's a guard, and when it comes to shooting, he would knock down that that three first try. So that's that's who I'd go for.
2: See, I'm saving Curry for another event, but I understand where you're coming from, and why not? It's fun to see Curry in there. I remember when uh, Steph did it when he was a young fella. I say young fella, but I mean like, two, what was it, like 2011, 2012 skills challenge?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, yeah, you're it, right.
2: It was a while back, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. So, yeah, no, I would say it would be one of those. I, I, I put my money on Tobias, but, you know, because he's probably not going to make the All-Star game, so
0: I want to give him something. So how about how about I think you're saving it for the next one. So three yeah, point contest yeah. who who would who would win uh, from the Sixers? Seth, obviously, he's
2: one of the best yeah. three point shooters and in the NBA, and he's a Curry, and you can never, in the words of Stephen A. Smith, never doubt a Curry. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't you can't doubt a Curry like Dell Curry, Seth Curry, Steph Curry. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you can put Austin Rivers in that conversation, but he did marry into the Curry family, so maybe Austin Rivers' future children or current children—I don't know if he mm-hmm. has kids or not yet—but you know, it's, yeah. it's there. It's yeah. there.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a curveball. The obvious choice would be Curry, and if he was in it, I'd put some money on him. But I, I'm just gonna throw some out there just to surprise the the listeners. I would actually go Isaiah Joe. Isaiah okay, Joe. I can see it. I and, can see and, it. And here's why, right? He's a rookie, and you know if you put him in the NBA Finals or you put him in a big playoff game, he probably is not going to do much because he's a rookie. But mm-hmm. you just put him out there with some balls, some racks of balls, and you just you know count down from sixty seconds and say, "Make as many as you can. It's like practice for him. That guy is a pure shooter. So as much as as Curry would be the favorite, just for fun, I, I'd put Isaiah Joe.
2: I can see it. I mean, I wouldn't do it, and they don't usually give it to rookies. The rookies usually get in the slam dunk, but I can see it. I can see it.
0: Yeah. Speaking of slam dunk, Lucas, mm-hmm. this is interesting. This was tough for me. But if this if any 76ers would participate in the dunk contest, which is actually going to be at halftime, it's going to be weird, yeah. right? I know they're trying to condense yeah. it, but at halftime of the All-Star game, they're going to have the dunk contest. Which sixer do you think would, would come out on top? Dwight. How, no, I'm kidding. Not Dwight. Howard, <laughs> Superman, you know.
2: Superman. Superman. Where is Krypton <laughs> No. <laughs> no um, Dwight's way past his prime to be doing that now. It's a tough call for me because part of me wants to see Simmons, but I honestly don't know if he's creative enough. Um, I would. It's a three-way tie for me because I couldn't decide on one person because part of me wants to see Matisse, but then I also know how much of a high flyer Terrence Ferguson is. And, you know, while he's not playing, he is on the team. So it's a three-way tie. But I guess if, if we're going with star power names, I would say Ben. But, I, I you know, Terrence Ferguson and Matisse Thibel have shown some hops this year. Well, yeah. not Terrence this year, but Terrence last year. But, yeah, Matisse has shown some hops. So any of three of those I would be happy with.
0: It, it's hard to pick because we don't have any... Really creative dunkers. We don't have anybody that can can get up and do a three sixty or do some type I of think windmill. Ferguson actually did participate as a rookie. Did he really? Well, then that, let me Google this. Hang yeah. on. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't remember that, but I do know Ben Simmons is probably the most athletic, and he can probably jump the highest out of anybody. I just haven't seen Ben really, you know, go nasty on some some creative stuff. So Dwight Howard. Clearly he's past his prime, but how about Furkan? Fur- Furkan is uh I think on the internet they they go after him with some memes and they say that he's the Turkish slam dunk champion. I didn't verify that, but he has had some nice dunks in the past year and a half. Nothing over the top, but Furkan can get up. He can.
2: Um so it looks like Terrence Ferguson was considered for it, but he wasn't he didn't doesn't look like he actually did it. It just looks like he's done some like, you know, possible um, crazy stuff during practice and during games, but nothing actually for the Sam Dunn contest. And you know what? Quorkmaz would be fun. I think whenever when there were fans, whatever he dunked, it was like the biggest thing in the world, because you don't expect that from, you know, Cork So I mean, and he does surprisingly have some uh, well, I think it's more of his length, but he definitely can get up there. So I mean I don't know if he could dazzle us or not, but, you know, it it might be fun. I mean, I can see him doing a slam dunk contest after practice. I I can see him doing it with, like, Dwight because, you know, Dwight still
0: would probably want to do it. He might His feet might be too big, though. I take that back. I think he has huge feet. He's always stepping on the line. Uh, Every game there's at least one player he gets called for trying to shoot a three, but his foot, his toes on the line, out of bounds – you brought up Dwight Howard earlier, and I know he's a sixer now. We know he's not going to be in the dunk contest, but I just have to reminisce for a minute. Mm-hmm. I did not like Howard in the dunk contest. Oh. I thought it was so weird that he would put on a cape, and then he blew a candle out on a on a cupcake on the backboard. That was just
2: – He stole that gimmicky. from Gerald Green, by the way. He stole that from Gerald Green because Gerald Green did that in like the 2006. Oh, he split did? Up. Right. Yeah, he stole. That maybe from because it's because
0: maybe it's because it was Howard, and I was I was a Howard hater back in the day because <laughs> he was with Orlando. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: no, I I you know I will I actually I what I Dwight Howard's first it was Shaq and then it was Dwight because I always loved centers growing up as a kid because I I was like in middle school I was like five eight so I was like the big second tallest kid in the middle school so i always played powerful order center playing basketball so i always related to those big guys uh, i related to dwight Shaq, tim duncan dirk nowinski like so i i enjoyed seeing dwight in there and i loved it when he sh- dunked on a 12 foot rim now that was fun um and then with the little like show that he had with nate robinson that was that that was fun too like i did not like it when Javale mcgee did it and tried to do it with like two or three balls that was ridiculous oh.
0: So we'll move on, Lucas. And the last category is which seventy six will be most likely to win the All Star Game MVP. I think we know the answer, but I'll let you answer.
2: The answer is Joel Embiid. And honestly, if <laughs> Team Giannis would have won last year, he probably would have gone in it for Team Giannis because he put the team on his back back then. So I wouldn't expect anything less this year if he plays. Oh.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, you put him in in the post, and he'll go to town on anyone. And I, I'm sure you remember that one play. I think it was a tight game. They gave him the ball, mm-hmm. and he was posting up LeBron.
1: Yes, and he was
0: backing him down. He did the little dream shake, and then nailed the jumper over LeBron. It, yes, yeah, it, I, I would agree. It would be Embiid clearly because yeah. Simmons I would Simmons say, I would wouldn't. say at
2: this point that's Embiid's like most iconic shot of his career. Not the best, but most
0: iconic. Yeah. And, and even, you know, a long shot, even if Simmons did make it, he doesn't have enough in his arsenal, in his um, offensive game to score enough points. There's no way that he would get MVP. Tobias, oh, yeah. it's, it, could he make the, the team? I think earlier you said he's probably not. I, I would hope that the coaches would give him a, a, a shot. He's clearly well, not going to get voted in because of the fans, but maybe the coaches yeah. will give him in.
2: Well, I'll say this. Yeah. Um... According to Zach Lowe, who's done like a straw poll, I listened to the Low Post podcast. He said that according to the you know coaches that he has talked to, like uh, they say that Ben Simmons has a stronger case between the two. And I don't think any team's going to get three All Stars this year uh, unless like multiple injuries happen or multiple people bail out. Yeah. Um, that being said, uh, I do. I will say last year when. Uh, Ben did play it. And Nick Nurse, Nick Nurse used him in the pick and roll so much. I loved it. That's that's the Ben I want to see moving forward. But
0: I don't know if we'll see that all the time, but it would be nice to see that more often. What happened to all the thousands or maybe um, tens of thousands of Australian fans? I, I, I thought that they would, no matter how Ben was doing, they would try and get their guy in. It was just Shocked that he I had such the, a low I think number. They're
2: still, I think they're still hurt over Brett Brown. They do love Brett Brown. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Reve- I'm, 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 like, I'm joking. I'm, par- <laughs> I'm only like halfway joking. I'm being yeah. I'm being like partially serious here. Because yeah. like I can see it happening though. Because they really yeah. do love Brett Brown down in Australia. And honestly, if he yeah. didn't come back to the NBA and just went back to Australia, I wouldn't bro- blame him. Like yeah. that's that's his second home. Yeah. Outside of his little cabin up in Maine. Um But no, I mean, I don't know what's gonna happen with Ben. I think the points, the lack of point production. I think that forty-two point game is really gonna help him, but we'll have to wait and see. The the East is so deep in all star talent this year, like the Nets are probably gonna be the only team that gets it. And that's because they literally have like three of the top like 20 players in the league on their team. Like otherwise, you're not gonna get three. Like it's just not gonna happen. So, I mean, I would like Tobias to be on there. I think he's deserving. Course again, I honestly think they should expand their all star roster to fifteen players instead of twelve. I think uh you always have some notable snubs each year. Mike Conley has never gotten it when uh during his prime, uh what's his Monte Ellis never got it. I thought Monte should have been an all star. You could have even made a case for Jamal Crawford being a 6 man or Lou Williams being a 6 man in their, you know, their best years. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. yeah. So
2: I mean, like, and, you know, Jul- we, we don't talk about Julius Randle because he's not a sixer, but gosh, he's averaging what? Like 20, 10, and 5? But yeah. there's a good chance he does not make it this year. And Nikola Vucevic is having the best year of his career, like 22 and don't, 10, for, what is it, 22 and 12 or something for, like that?
0: Don't forget about Jeremy Grant. He's has been playing Grant, lights yeah. out too. Yeah,
2: yeah I mean, I, usually teams on terrible, players on terrible teams don't get it. But, like, yeah. you get what I'm saying. Like, the Knicks are a playoff team. The Orlando Magic can still get into the playoff. I mean, probably not because of the injuries, but like if they were healthy, they would have a legit shot. So, like you look at it, yeah, there's a lot of deserving players in the East. I mean, arguably the Pacers could have have an argument for two All Stars, but honestly, the both of them might get snubbed. It just depends on how you vote and how the you know the coaches
0: vote. Yeah.
2: So. Yeah, I think the All Star roster should be expanded to fifteen players instead of twelve. Yeah. But
0: well, this week, Lucas, we're doing something different. Why don't you tell us, tell the listeners what we're about to do? So
2: yeah, we, um, me and your are both educators outside of the Sixer Sense, and um, we both have have done our own amount of research on the civil rights movement in particular. In honor of Black History Month, we're definitely going to talk about the. Uh, in particular, some major NBA uh, players involved. Uh, and actually, you know, one former Sixers that usually wasn't involved that kind of got involved this one time. So, Uriah, did you know that the Sixers and the Celtics were set to start a playoff series the same time that Dr. King was assassinated? And there was a struggle whether or not to decide that he should play game one or not.
0: Well, to be honest, I did not know until we did some research and we found a really great article online from The Undefeated, and the writer of the article highlighted this uh, little known fact that both Lucas and I found very profound and interesting. So so basically, the article that that we read set the, the framework in terms of the time period where Dr. King was assassinated on April 3rd in uh, 1968. During that time... Uh, You know, you had baseball season going on. Football was over by that point. But across Mm -hmm. the country, you know, particularly the black community, I mean, it was a a time of mourning. It it was like the hero for the entire civil rights struggle was just shot down, dead, right Mm -hmm. there at the Lorraine Motel. So if you think about the predominant number of players in the NBA for a while have been African-American. And at that time, Lucas... And to everyone listening out there, it was a big question mark. Should the NBA play only 24 hours after the assassination of Dr. King? Mm -hmm. So it was a big question. And the Sixers and the Celtics were about to play game one of the Mm -hmm. Eastern Conference finals. And Mm -hmm. to be honest with you, you mentioned um, some players who were, you know, prominent during that time. You had the two best centers probably argue, arguably in the history of the all game mm-hmm. of all time and Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell. So, you know, they went back and forth. You know, should we play? A lot of players were really upset. Um, they did end up playing that first game the day after King was assassinated. And I think the Sixers, they end up stealing that game. but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a really dark moment in the in the history of our country, and can only imagine how how the players felt at that time.
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a unique situation, and uh, we'll talk about this more in a little bit. And I'll let you take the um, the Wilt side of this because I've done a lot of research on Bill Russell in the past, but you know it's the only thing that i can even remotely and i and i mean no disrespect by it to either person by what i say this but the only type of death that i've seen that shakes the country and the nba to his core like this in recent history would be the death of kobe bryant mm-hmm. and obviously completely different circumstances uh, dr king was obviously a much bigger figure not to disrespect kobe bryant at all cuz that's not the case but the NBA still played games uh, despite you know Kobe's um, death, and that was a hard decision. And obviously, like I said, no disrespect to Kobe, but Mister Doctor King's death was much uh, had a much bigger impact on the overall African American culture. So, to for those two players, and they had talked on the phone because they were best friends. Uh, well chronicled bitter rivals, best friends off the court. And they had a phone call discussing whether or not they wanted to play. I just find it so interesting that the, you know, there's, there's a few times that especially during a playoffs that something is bigger than the game, but this obviously was that, and you know, it should have been. And, but you know, at the same time, I think it was good that they did play the game, but Uriah, my question for you is should they have played that game the day after Dr. King was killed?
0: If I was an NBA player at that time, I would have not put my sneakers on. I, I would not have gone to the game. I think, like you said earlier, there's some moments that just bigger than than basketball. And I'll just read an excerpt, Lucas, from the article mm-hmm. that really stands yeah, out. So right here it says, at the time, Boston Celtics player coach. It, yeah, it was crazy. Um, Bill Russell was player. African American
2: coach in the in, yeah. the
0: in the NBA. Fun fact. Yeah yeah uh so Bill Russell was in shock Thursday night and all day Friday in his Philadelphia hotel room he hadn't slept. his mind raced. he was one of the most visible athletes involved in the civil rights movement, and for him, King's assassination was kind of confirmation. He said stuff that I said ten years ago that everybody dismissed as an angry Negro talking is coming out today, and even well, Chamberlain, who was the star for the sixers he even though he never really got politically involved, he kind of stayed to himself, kind of like Michael Jordan was in his day. Mm-hmm. He never really wanted to, to yeah. put himself out there. But even, mm-hmm. even Wilt Chamberlain, Lucas, was yeah. like thinking twice, like, man, this is, this is really not good. Mm-hmm. But if it was me, Lucas, pff, there's no mm-hmm. way. No way I would have played because Dr. King was such a, a prominent and significant figure in the civil rights movement. What do you say? That is a tough call for me, man, because I'm I'm not
2: a, I'm not a black man. I'm a white man. I mean, I have a biracial daughter, but like I can't say that. I mean, he, obviously, his impact on me as an individual does not span the same as, as for uh, African-Americans. That being said, I mean, I think if I had to go back to that day, where I am at the maturity level, I, I would follow the leader of my team, which was would would be either Bill Russell or Will Chamberlain. Because, I, like I said, I'm not in the position to make. Like, it's not going to have the same impact on me. I can only support my teammates. So, whatever they decide, you know, my African American teammates. So, whatever they decide, I'll support them in, and they ultimately decided to play. So, that's what I would support them in.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and the irony is that. In the locker rooms of the Sixers and the Celtics, it was kind of divided. I do recall reading the article. There were some some teammates of Bill Russell. I think there were white teammates who were like, you know, was this have to doing anything? We should play, and I'm sure that caused a rift for them. But ultimately, if if people are wondering how that turned out, the uh, the Sixers end up dropping the next three or four games. So so the Celtics went on. I think that year to win the championship. But at the end of the day, that, that experience was, was pretty profound. And I think the, the last question was, should Wilt Chamberlain have been more politically outspoken during the civil rights era like Bill Russell? And because you wrote a thesis about Bill Russell, maybe you can do a little compare contrast of those two.
2: It just based off of what I've learned from about Will Chamberlain through that research of uh, Bill Russell, it wasn't in his personality. He was a go easy type of guy, you know, life of the party. He wasn't. He he didn't really take things too seriously, from what I understand. I mean, I, my dad was born in the nineteen sixties, so like you know, I I can't rightfully say. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, could he have been? Yes, would have made a difference, maybe. I mean, it just depends, obviously. I mean, having another big-name star there, obviously, might have helped the likes of uh, Muhammad Ali a little bit more because uh, Bill Russell, along with Kareem, young Lou Archibald, actually, before he became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and a couple other, I think Jim Brown was there, too. They all supported uh, Muhammad Ali's uh, stance of not going into the uh, the military. Some other things, uh, but yeah, no, I don't think it was in... Wilt's temperament to be that type of outspoken person. And I mean, it might have made a difference, but it wasn't who he was. And you can't expect somebody to do something outside of their temperament.
0: And that just wasn't his. Right. And I do think it's Lou Cinder for Kareem. Was, was it Lou Yes, yeah, definitely uh, Lou Alcinder for Kareem. Who am I yeah. thinking of? Lou Archibald then. Yeah, Tiny Archibald. He was a player in the NBA, but um, was it like- was, yep, yeah, but Kareem, he, he changed his name. During that time, during that era. It okay. used to be Lou and okay,
2: Thanks for the correction there.
0: I completely agree with you in that whether you're a professional athlete or whether you're someone who is a teacher or someone who's in business, you have to stay true to yourself. You know, you can't fake the funk, as they say. And if you're not a political person, don't don't even go there. So, you know, it's just kind of like yin and the yang, right? Sometimes you have to have opposites. So you had Kareem and and Bill Russell, who are very politically active. And then you had Will Chamberlain, who was more of a laid back guy. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this, but Will Chamberlain actually played, he was like a a movie star at one point. Yes, he he was uh, in The the Barbarian. Yeah. 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 So that tells you like, he was Mr. Hollywood. Does he have any regrets? Well, I I, I can't speak to that. I do know that if we compare eras... Like we look at our era now, Mm -hmm. you know, who would be the Bill Russell of of this generation? And I would dare say, yeah, I would say LeBron, exactly. Because LeBron, he sees himself as someone who has a voice uh, for Mm -hmm. the African-American community, right? You know, good for him. I'm proud of LeBron being not squeaky clean, nobody's perfect, but he's been a great role model for young kids and for his own Mm -hmm. family. And I think... He's going to that's going to define his legacy
2: for sure. And just uh, for, for our listeners, um, I know that Bill Russell's a Celtic, but I, I do want to highlight some of the stuff that he's that he did during his uh, during the civil rights. Beyond just backing Muhammad Ali, he also walked with Dr. King in Washington. He set up the first integrated uh, basketball camps in the South. He confronted races, racist in Mississippi. Actually, at a, a diner, I believe. Um, and then he and his, uh, when he was playing against, he was set to play against the then uh, St. Louis Hawks. And he, and one of his teammates, were uh, re- denied access to the ca- the uh, the restaurant in the hotel that they were staying. So uh, he and his teammates all packed up and left. And when Red Auerbach called, he called, he told him what happened, and Red Auerbach, uh, you know, supported him in that which was a big deal all the time. Um, I'm trying to remember what else I can think of off the top of my head here. Um, So much. It's a lot. (laughs) So much. Yes, so much. Obviously he dealt with racism even in Boston, even though it was a Northern place. It definitely did not always Boston never all didn't always treat uh, their greatest star ever with the respect that he deserved, which is a shame because if they treated him like they treated Larry bird and, you know, I'm not saying that it was, You know what I am saying? It probably had to do, on some level, had to do with race. You know, he probably would have gotten a statue, not in 2006, but a heck of a lot sooner. I think those are all the major points that I can remember. It was a 30-page thesis, so forgive me, folks, if I can't remember every single detail on there. But he did so much, and, you know, I, I will truly... I might actually – I'm not going to lie. I might shed a tear when he passes – whenever he does pass away. He's still going strong at like – I think he's 86 or 80 – he's in his late 80s. I know that. Yeah. But um, he definitely is an important yeah. part in the social economic – the sports and social economic relationship in America. He was one of the big bridges in the early 60s for sports and social activism – that was beyond any other athlete. And I think the fact that he, uh, like, you know, other athletes, there were other black athletes before him, like Babe Ruth, but he was the first one that really kind of confronted it head on in yeah. a way that other athletes
0: did. So, yeah. yeah. And, and that, and that's our little segment for uh, black history month, just paying tribute and recognize the importance of the contributions that African-Americans have made in in this country. So, That being said, I think, Lucas, is our time to to head on out. And on behalf of the Sixer Sense podcast, this is Uriah Young with Lucas Johnson. We appreciate everyone for tuning in, listening in, subscribing. When you get a chance, we really hope that you can leave a message, a comment, and uh, subscribe. Apple iTunes, obviously, and Google Play. So until next time, go Sixers. We'll catch you then. Take it easy. Take it easy, guys.